You are now listening to the Final Whistle Sports Podcast. Here is your host, Blaine Spencer. How's it going, everybody? Welcome into another edition of the Final Whistle Sports Podcast. You know who I am. I'm your host, Blaine Spencer. It's been a pleasure always bringing you guys as much information, my hot takes, to the internet or as well as to the podcast world. Today, I have a special guest. We've had Justin from Hashtag This Justin. Today, I have Marsha, the other co-host part of this, Justin. Marsha, thank you so much for taking your time out of your evening to come on and talk Final Whistle with me and talk some Olympics. Thank you so much, Blaine, for having me. Hopefully, I know Justin would have set the bar really high, so hopefully I can live up to the expectations. Yeah, Justin. So we have Marsha from This Justin. <laughs> Marsha, why don't you just go in and elaborate on the This Justin sports show as well as what brought you into starting it, being a co-host, etc. Well, Blaine, well, I am a former sports reporter here in Barbados. So that's how Justin and I met. He was also a sports reporter. So from being professional colleagues, we became friends. And then during the COVID, well, he's always had this vision to have a sports show. And then during the pandemic last year, you know, everybody was home most of the time, working from home, etc. So it seemed like the perfect time to start. And without the limitations of, okay, now we need a studio. Now you didn't need any of that in this virtual environment that had become a commonplace. So it was his vision and we just decided to run with it. For me personally, I'm an avid sports fan. As I said, a former sports reporter, my background is in media and communications. And more recently, I've been interested in sports management and administration. So that's me in a nutshell. That's fantastic. And I know uh, I was talking to Justin a little earlier today and he was saying that you had been following the Olympics to a T is that right yes. pretty significantly yes. pretty significantly because in my day job I'm a research officer at a media company so part of my job during the Olympics was literally to log everything we had recorded so I, I it almost felt like I watched the entire Olympics for the duration of the two and a half weeks or so that's fantastic so that's what this show is going to focus on today. I want to get your takes on the Olympics as well as some different things that we discussed uh, off the air. But first off, I want to get your overall take. Did the IOC make the correct decision? And to I know they postponed it from 2020 to 2021, still called it Tokyo 2020. But was it the correct decision to move forward, especially with COVID casings rising right at the beginning before they got started? Um, for me, it's difficult to say whether it was the right or wrong decision. And more times, more often than not, these things look right or wrong in retrospect. You know how they say hindsight is 2020. So I think they made the best possible decision, taking all the various stakeholders into consideration, given the information we had at present. Was it the best decision? Honestly, from an organizational perspective or in terms of the impact on the Japanese healthcare, the pandemic, their managing of the pandemic, et cetera. We probably won't fully know the impact, if negative or positive, that the Olympics did have on their handling of the situation, whether medical resources were diverted and so forth. But if we then take the other stakeholders into consideration, when you look at the billions of dollars the Japanese through the organizing committee would have already spent, the money the IOC would have invested, when you think about the corporate sponsors, partners, TV rights, NBC alone has a billion dollar, multiple billion dollar deal 
so much money was at stake that a, an outright cancellation would have been a logistical nightmare, a legal nightmare. So once you decided that, okay, cancellation is absolutely not an option, you just had to find a way to make it work in the best possible or in the safest way possible. And that's why you saw, you know, the different implementation of the various playbooks. You had a playbook for athletes, playbook for the media, guidelines for each category, daily COVID testing. Then the Japanese authorities made the decisions not to have um, spectators at the venues. You know, so everything was put in place to have the games as safe as possible once cancellation was on the table. So for me, I think it Ultimately, it might have turned out to be the best decision for those involved, even for the athletes, because then, as we saw, based on their performances, the athletes really wanted to compete. Absolutely. And for me, it's a bit of a mixed bag, like how you were mm -hmm. describing it as, especially with it being postponed in 2020, which was almost inevitable because we had no clue what was <laughs> happening at that time yeah. with the virus. But it kind of hurts for those athletes that would have qualified then because some of them didn't qualify for the 2021 version because of potential injuries or not having their peak performances when they when it counted most. So if they were going to postpone it again, then you're looking at having a summer and winter within mm -hmm. a four month time period. And, and a world, and it would is also a World Cup year, so the calendar yep, itself would have yep. been crazy. In Qatar, exactly. There was going to be no chance of being able to fit everything in. Mm -hmm. So the, the best decision was to move on. They did have different the protocols in place. I think the alternates was actually a very good idea that they added in was having alternates. Yeah. Especially, mm -hmm. I know you had to forfeit if you tested positive while you're in the, in the middle, but if you tested positive before the event, giving another athlete an opportunity a chance. Was yeah. exactly was a great idea to be implemented. So I think it was, again, it's a mixed bag. You can only, there was going to be no correct <laughs> answer. There was going to be no wrong yeah. answer here, but it's going to be really some athletes. Sorry. There's some athletes who benefited from the cancellation because they were hurt you know, late 2019 into 2020. So on either side, you know, it could exactly. go either way. Yeah. It was, you're pulling strings. <laughs> so for you, Marsha, then do you deem it a success? Because I think a lot of these protocols will probably be implemented again in 2022 because I think the virus isn't going away anytime soon. Mm -hmm. They might bring in fans, but mm -hmm. do you deem it a success this summer? I I think so. Given everything that was happening, given the time in which we were operating in, in the middle of a pandemic and the Japanese population themselves dealing with what was happening, I think the Games was a success because, you know, none of the events had to be cancelled. None of the individual disciplines had to be cancelled. There was no major COVID outbreak that we know of in the athlete village or so forth. You had, you know, a couple high profile names along the way, for example, Coco Goff testing positive before she left for Japan. And then Sam Kendricks, the American pole vaulter testing positive in the village. That one was probably the one that caused a little bit of scare. Everybody was on lockdown for a little bit. They John Rahm, the testing. top golfer in the world, tested positive yes. right beforehand, too. Exactly. So you had some scares, but generally, because I know some people had concerns of this massive outbreak that would have swept through the Olympic village and everything would have to be shut down, etc. So we didn't have that. Everything went off 
let's say from a television viewing perspective, because obviously I wasn't there on the ground, as seamlessly as it possibly could have. And then on top of that, the performances of the athletes were really good, if not better than expected. When you consider, you know, the number of world records being broken across several disciplines, athletics, swimming, weightlifting, cycling. So you, found, you saw that athletes were performing at their peak level. Um, none of the competitions had to be canceled. There were no major outbreaks, no major issues like that. So from that perspective, I would have to say it was successful. I agree with the world records, especially, and with no fans, mm -hmm. you had to bring in your own energy. <laughs> yeah. And I know some of the, especially like trackers swimming, you have the competitors in the pool or on the track with you, which kind of makes that a, a little bit less seamless, but not mm -hmm. having that crowd noise still, you got to create that own energy. A lot of the time, the energy was brought by their teammates that were going yeah. to the finals because they were the only ones really allowed to be in the facility. And again, no, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say um, from a TV viewing perspective to once things got going, you didn't really notice or miss. Okay. There were no spectators there that much. The action on the field, the action at the various events was that good that it, it captured your attention. It kept you locked in and it didn't feel as if like, for example, when, European football restarted last year you know you felt the sense of okay these venues are empty it's flat but to me you didn't get that vibe from the Olympics especially track and field which I probably watched the most of if anything what you found is you heard a bit more of the athletes than you normally would in terms of when they were speaking to themselves or when they would scream out and stuff like that you got more of that side of things but from a television viewing perspective, I don't think I miss the spectators that much. Couldn't agree more. And especially with your, you talked about the soccer when it restarted, you, you could hear the coaches telling them what to do. <laughs> yeah. You could actually do what they're being told instead of like when they restarted this past weekend, they're back to the normal, just saying, normal. holding their ear. I can't hear mm -hmm. you. And <laughs> But more than anything, you can't say that. I know I was reading this article that released a couple of days ago with the Wall Street Journal. I know it's going to be a significant, significant financial hit that Japan's going to take. That it, it took costed roughly fifteen billion dollars for this Olympics to take place there in, in the country of Japan, and they're not going to get that revenue back that you would normally get from fans or for vendors, from sponsors, etc. But that was going to be inevitable. And yeah. with that, other than that, the athletes delivered, and that's all you can ask for. And even the announcers that were there on site, the reporters there on uh, there on site, they did a phenomenal job as well. And even as you mentioned, the athletes, you know, in a lot of the post-event interviews, especially for the medalists, you heard how much it meant to them to be able to compete people were reduced to tears they said you know this was a really hard year so to be able to come here and perform meant so much i mean you see it almost felt as if we were seeing even more passion and more emotion being openly displayed than we normally would so for, even from that perspective for some athletes just being able to compete and get through their event would have been deemed a success on an individual level and it added to the overall success of the event and it added in another layer of mental toughness for mm -hmm. these athletes. I know 
there was some backlash towards Simone Biles, which was completely unwarranted in my opinion because of her getting there. And then she got the, the flipsies and it took her, it took a turn. She ended up pulling out of 75% of her events. Yeah. But I, I, that was how this year and a half has gone now that it's all about that mental toughness and trying mm-hmm. to will yourself to get to that point. Cause every dream of an athlete is to be there in that four year time period. This year it was five mm-hmm. from 2016. And it was just showed so much encouragement to see that they were able to endure so much in these last couple of years to get here. Because even something as simple as extending your training program for an additional year, that can wreak havoc on your body. Because if you know, if you're training on cycles and you're preparing for a four-year cycle, and now you have a whole other year extension, depending on the event that you're doing, that's really, really tough. So to be able to still come out there and deliver, and as you mentioned with Simone Biles, et cetera, for me, it's also important to know that, you know, making the right decision, even though you, the highest is at stake, that Olympic gold medal. To me, she made the best decision personally, as well as for her team during that team competition. Because had she fallen off an apparatus or something like that, it would have been even worse for the team scores. So from a team perspective and a personal perspective, with her safety, her health, everything in mind, for me, it was the right decision. Without question. So let's transition. You said you've pretty much covered it from start <laughs> to finish. What was the what was your favorite moment that you took Ooh. away from the Olympics? And was there a, a moment that you were actually disappointed in by like an athlete or a team hmm. in any of the events? Do I have to play just one moment? Nope. You <laughs> because hey, we got all night. But you go ahead. <laughs> That's the thing. If, if someone asks me to pick just one moment, I, I don't think I can pick. For me, especially, even if I just focus on track and field solely, there were so many memorable moments in track Mine and field. Track. That Mine's going to be track yeah. and field, so. I, I can't just pick one. So, for example, um, Elaine thompson Hero being the first woman to pull off that double-double, as we're now calling it, you know, mm-hmm. being able to defend Olympic titles in the 100 and 200, and not only defend them, but a 1061 breaking the Olympic record in the 100, uh, 21 point breaking the national record in the 200 for Jamaica, and then winning gold in the four by one. And Jamaica, Jamaica's women sweeping that mm-hmm. uh, 100 meters for the second time because they did it in 2008, were able to do it again from a Caribbean perspective because I am from the Caribbean, I'm from Barbados. Um, that was remarkable to see. And interestingly for me, the females really sh- turned up and showed out this Olympic Games. Like some of the best performances came from females. So we had Sifan Hassan doing a mind-boggling triple that <laughs> and even and to think about it. And podium in all of them, falling in one of the qualifying races and having a final later that same day. Like her performances were mind-boggling. Um, coming away with two gold medals out of the three. And she says she's going after that 5,000 world record at the next Diamond League. So superhuman, <laughs> if we can call it that. Um, another feel-good moment for me was the men's side jump with uh, Mutaz Esabar Shim and 
Tam, Gianmarco Tamberi and them deciding to share the gold medal. And you just saw the emotion and the relief that Tamberi felt having missed Rio with a, a broken foot, etc. So for me that, you know, every Olympic you tend to have a feel good moment. So when Barshin says, you know, can we share it? And the judge is like, well, I guess you can. And Tamberi just, you know, he totally erupts and is very ecstatic. For me, that was very, very memorable. Not because I like Barsham. Barsham is my favorite high jumper outside of um, Javier Sotomayor. So just to know that what they went through and for them to come back from in, both of them come back from injury and so forth and sharing a gold medal. You know, you saw some people saying, but that's not fair. I mean, it's about you have to have a winner. Like, no, you don't have to have a winner. The rules allow for certain field events if they can't be broken. The participants have the option to do a jump off. And if they don't want to do a jump off, the medal can be shared. So for me, that was that was a really memorable moment. World records by Carlston Volholm in that 400 meter hurdles. That's that mine. Time. That's yours. But I let you take it from here. Why? My, why was that one for you? My. So I actually was a hurdler when ah. I was. I used to run track in three. It wasn't the 400 hurdles yet. It was still 300s, and then you worked your way up to the four. But on the men's and women's side, mm -hmm. just. Those were the two races that pretty much everybody had wanted to see. It was leading up. Carson Warholm had already broken the world record on home soil <laughs> going in and yep. we broke it in Oslo. And you knew Rye Benjamin was going to bring it. He was going to be right there. And then what Sydney McLaughlin and Dalila Muhammad did was another <laughs> sensational thing. And it, you can you can actually go to the third place finishers as well, Allison Dos Santos and Bull from the Netherlands. Yes, all hat under the old. Passes, yes, passes three times ever at the Olympics. Yep, run by the those three the top three finishers in the four hundred hurdle race. Mm -hmm. It's just absolutely absurd, and it's just going to be a rivalry that's going to continue. I know on the women's side, Muhammad is starting to yeah. round out her career uh -huh. so may we may we most likely will not see her again in 2026 but from what cindy mclaughlin did as like as a motivator she ripped everything up she yep. completely rebuilt herself after losing to muhammad in the in the world's the world's yeah uh -huh. 2019 and, yeah exactly in 2019 and teaching herself to jump off of both legs have that composure that even if you're going to misstep that you're going to be able to be comfortable over the hurdle and then on the men's side Carson Warholm just is a a man amongst boys because I think I saw a stat that when you his time would have placed him like he he would have there were 18 men slower than him in the flat 400 I know he entered that event like 45.94 is is <laughs> Is is a flat four time for some people, and, and you're we running never, that with we ten barriers. Break this forty-seven second barrier, and Warholm broke the forty-six. Forty-six. And <laughs> that's in that race, and and I think it would have been tighter if Benjamin didn't clip that final hurdle. Hurdle. We watch hmm. it. He clips the final one, which kind of deviates momentum, which allows more Warholm to pull away in that last couple meters, but. Just the 400 hurdles for me. And then I will give a disappointment. I will, United States of America, <laughs> four by one. Are you like, are you kidding me? Sixth place. And you're complaining about 
who should be getting the baton when? And for me, say, I guess. I, I mean, for me, I, 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 I was just—I watched it live. I was just so frustrated. Like, how could you be? Like the exchanges weren't were the sec the second exchange was awful. It didn't even look like they practiced in that second exchange. It looked like they just went out there and said, "All right, who's wearing running where, and you're gonna go." Like that's how bad the second exchange was, and you could see <laughs> that's the issue with the United States a lot in the relays because they're all complaining to be on that team, and the mm -hmm. team that won that heat, China, they have four or five guys that are gonna be running. That's it. They practice it the whole year. Like this is. Like th that's their moment. So, and that's the thing about the relays that people need to remember. You don't need the four fastest guys. You don't need four nine point guys. When, if you have, let's say, four ten flat, ten one guys that can have a clean exchange, you're in a better position than just sticking four fast men in the race and hoping the state gets around. Like for us, unfortunately, is a running joke to see if the US men will even be eligible to the final because, you know, recent memory there's been baton drops etc and like what made it worse i guess was you know nbc did that whole spiel with kevin hart this big bill up like bolt is finally gone so now we can the curse of the four by one <laughs> that's the curse for the united states four by one unfortunately most definitely was... It, it was a good gold medal for italy it's Italy surprised everybody yeah. in this with they won the open one four by one high jump as you mentioned mm -hmm. just like Italy showed up on the track which was extremely good for them oh. and then more than anything it was just trying to deviate different things so uh now I want to go what was that one sport that you never probably watch ever but you couldn't miss it in the Olympics this year well, one sport that I had, uh, well, for me, it's twofold. One sport that I had never watched, but I watched during the Olympics was sport climbing because we, we don't have that here. We don't, we don't do that here in Barbados. So it was intriguing to see that sport climbing. One was an Olympic event because I didn't realize it was that big a sport globally. And then secondly, the speed at which people were going up those walls was absolutely, you know, it's one of those things Dang. like I saw uh, a tweet about you know the 100 meters at the olympics is no longer the fastest event no it is the sport the sport climbing i'm like okay cool so that was intriguing but a sport that i generally don't get to watch outside of the olympics i always make sure i watch um artistic swimming formerly synchronized swimming for me the athleticism the technique the choreography what they're able to do underwater holding their breath while being in sync, the core strength, the upper it's for me, it is phenomenal when you watch what these ladies do underwater. I mean, most people don't even swim well for you to be doing a full-on um, acrobatic dance routine. Um, so it's almost like swimming, gymnastics, ballet, everything wrapped up, um, diving all in one. It's that artistic swimming for me. It, it's beautiful to watch. And then when you Separate apart from it being beautiful, when you think about the physicality, the breath control, the lung capacity, and so forth, that is required to be the best in this sport, for me, is amazing. For you? Oh, for me, I couldn't actually not turn off my TV to watch the diving. Like, mm -hmm. yes, it, I was just, I know China destroys 
every time. <laughs> but it was just insane what they were doing. It's just like they were just on a completely different level of competition because it was literally usually, especially in individuals, it was them versus it was literally them yeah. against each other to try and win gold. Like they were, they had separated from the rest of the field mm -hmm. for the bronze. Like there was, there, you, there was no doubt who was going to be gold or silver. It was, it was everybody else just playing for third, which was absolutely ridiculous to me. And like the, their rotations, their radius, <laughs> their control of their body, their, uh, yep. the inept of water. And then the entry into new water. Entry, yes. Insane. Like no splash. It was just like, <laughs> I was, I, I was mesmerized. I couldn't, I couldn't stop watching it, especially when yeah. the Chinese were up doing it. Yeah. I like both the, the individual diving as well as the, um, the duets, the synchronized diving. So yeah, especially I was glad to see um, team Great Britain. They really stepped up in the synchronized version. Cause I think they won gold in that particular yeah. one. But I think that was the people, only event China lost in diving. Yes. And so you have to not only control your body, but be absolutely in sync with your partner. That's, that's crazy. Yeah, for sure. And then the other one I kind of watched for a little while. I mean, it was, it was the speed walking actually. <laughs> Cause I was it, like, that, I was like, I could, totally do this. I could totally get my hips moving, get my body going. I was like, I could totally rep you at the United States in like four years. <laughs> I couldn't I like, think the speed that was the for them. Thing. And I was like, wait a minute, They're, that's like my jogging pace. Or what exactly. Doing. I was just about to say that the speed they walk at is a lot of people jog, jogging pace. It's crazy. And then not only you can't only walk fast, you know, there's that technique where part of your foot must be on the ground at all times. I know. And so men up in cardio and yes. you're not doing it in the so correct So mentally, you, you still have to be, you know, dialed in and going as fast as you can. <laughs> I know it was like, I know they went for a while but like i was i watched for like a good like half hour of it and i was just like i, I can't you, you sure i can't do this you sure i'm pretty sure i could pull it off <laughs> it's all good um but for marsh marsha i want to thank you so much for taking your time giving me a little bit of an olympic breakdown and recap with me it was a truly a pleasure uh hopefully we can do this again soon thank you so much Yes, definitely. Thank you so much for having me, Blaine. And I'll be back. We have world championships next year, so you never know. <laughs> Absolutely. We'll, we'll definitely do a winner one, too, a winner 2022 kind of thing when it comes up to it. But everybody, that was the final Whistle Sports Podcast. Be sure to check us out. We got more content coming out in, in the rest of the week. Have a good day. <laughs>